today we're going to be getting in, we uh, just finished up our sermon series, and so we're going to be getting into kind of a standalone message. If you look around and you see that there are a bunch of kids in here, it's because it's our Generation Sunday. We believe that parents, students, people can do church together. It's fun to be able to give a break and like, because I am the next gen, I deal with middle school, high school, and young adults. And sometimes parents, let's be honest, you, you love the youth programs where it's like, all right, you go to your church, I'm going to go to my church, and I'm not going to have to worry about you. I can focus on God and not the simple fact that you're sitting there going, Mommy, I got to go potty. Mommy, I'm hungry. Mommy, I'm thirsty. You don't have to deal with it because that's what I did when I went to church with my parents. I did until I got smacked, and then we just started writing notes on pieces of paper and handing it back and forth. That's what we used Connect Cards for back in the day was just note writing. But today is Generation Sunday. We still believe in a bunch of family stuff. It's the same reason why we have, like, church family night coming up on the 11th. We do do church together as a family. We want to continue to do that. But today we're going to be talking about, you know, God working. How does God work? And well, when we look at like God working around us and God working with us, we also look at, I, I feel like there's been something that's been going on. The fact that I do next generation, I get middle school, high school, young adults, I help out in our men's ministry. I get to meet a lot of God's creation. That's humans. I get to talk with them, see what's going on, what's new. And there's one thing that I've noticed is that a lot of people feel like they get stagnant sometimes in a relationship. By show of hands, have you ever felt like a relationship of any kind, romantic friendship with God, it's just gotten stagnant, just feels like just sitting water. It doesn't feel like it's growing or moving. You're kind of like figuring out like, should I stay in this? Well, that stagnant relationship that we feel we, we feel it towards God sometimes too. There's been plenty of times in my life where I'm like, God, you were, you were so powerful three months ago. I felt you in my life. You were doing so many great things. Where, where are you now? Why was six months ago was I on fire and now I just, I don't know where you are. We just get stagnant. I feel like we get stagnant because God tells us he is living water. He is moving. He is ever going forward, and when we feel stagnant in a relationship, it's not because our father is stagnant, but it's because we found somewhere comfortable, we've gotten lazy, and we kind of did one of these numbers and got our feet in the sand and just got comfortable. We, did, we can have a tired body and be like, but I don't understand why I feel stagnant, like I'm doing things for the Lord, my body's tired, but what about your soul? What about your spirit? Is it tired? Are you, are you growing it? Or do you just feel like it's tired because your body's tired? I always do a little ditty for y'all. And my ditty comes straight out of the Bible. Disciples make disciples. Disciples make disciples. So if you're feeling stagnant in your relationship with God, my question for you is what is your next step? What are you standing still in? Disciples make disciples. In Matthew 28, 18 through 20, is where we're going to be today. It is the Great Commission. Matthew 28, 18 through 20. If you want to open your Bible there, if you want to open your app there, if you're joining us online, give you a second to find it. Matthew 28, 18 through 20. I'm going to read the NLT version. This is the Great Commission. Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go. And make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, 
Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. And be sure of this, I am always with you, even to the end of the age. That is the great commission. I was talking with some people on Thursday about that, and we were talking about how, you know, well, God only actually told, we were talking about the Old Testament, like God only actually told Jeremiah to do a certain thing, and that God was just going to be with Jeremiah, so God's not actually with me, or God was actually speaking to Elijah during here, so it's not actually to me. And we get into what's called a literal teaching, where we, we focus too much on the words and not necessarily the commandment. Because as I said, I was like, do you believe in the Great Commission? And they're like, oh, yeah, you know, we're supposed to go out and make disciples. And I'm like, okay, how do you believe in the Great Commission? Where I can literally look at it and go, well, God was only talking to his 12 disciples. And those 12 disciples, they only became like popes and preachers. So that commandment really isn't for me. It's for like people who work in church. That doesn't sound right. But that's where we get. A lot of people today feel like they Because they don't work at a church, it's not their job to make disciples. Can anybody tell me what school of theology that Peter went to? What, What was that master's degree that Paul had? What church did John preach at regularly? These first 12 disciples, they weren't pastors. They became pastors, sure. They became leaders. They were fishermen. They were tax collectors. They were sinners. This great commission that we've been given was given to all of God's children. Disciples make disciples. Jesus commands us to go out and make disciples and baptize them in the name. Now, getting to be the next gen, I get to, like I said, I get to figure out what the next gen problems are, what's really going on, what seems to be the common issue. One of the biggest things that the next gen is struggling with is sharing the gospel. It's scary. One, social anxiety, it's like going up to talk to somebody new. Nope, count me out. That is like, I would rather be punched in the face by Mike Tyson than have to go introduce myself to a new person. That is like nine out of 10 people in the next generation coming up. (laughs) Amen. (laughs) Talking to people can be scary. But getting to know people and getting to talk to people that are in this church, that are in churches around us, the number one reason why people do not share the gospel, do not share their faith, it's a lot to know. It's too big. I don't feel adequate enough. I don't feel like I know what I'm talking about. I I don't want to mess it up. We don't share our faith because we feel like we're not capable of doing it. Because I didn't go to theology school or I've just been a Christian. I just started out. I don't really understand the difference between inclusive and exclusive I don't know how to write these. Like, I, I, you can give me excuses all day long, and I'll look you straight in the eyes, and I'll say, I don't care. It's not good enough. It's not a good enough reason. Is it a, is it a reason? Sure, but it's not good enough. My son turns nine years old today. It's the same thing. When he looks me in the face, he's like, Dad, but I did this because I did this. And I look at him, and I go, that's, that's, not, that's not a good enough reason. That's an excuse. 
I'm not here for excuses. And I do the same thing talking with people, pastoring people. They're like, oh, Jordan, I'd love to share the gospel. But man, I don't got time. That's, that's not good enough. Oh, I feel like if I would learn the Bible more and like maybe if I took a couple of classes and understand the gospel fully, that's, that's not good enough. Quit coming up with excuses. Quit coming up with reasons. It's not good enough. Because I promise you, the reasons you have today haven't changed from the existence of mankind. And you are here today sitting in this room because someone didn't have an excuse to not share the gospel. Someone shared the gospel with you even when it was scary, even when it was terrifying, even when it was bad, even when they felt like they didn't know enough. We'll be getting more into that a little bit. There was a study done. You might have seen this online, but I really do. I may be just like a big dumb redneck from Texas with a mullet, but I really do like find like studies and research papers. Like I find them interesting. People always find that shocked. Like you like those little like number stuff? I really do. There was a study done in America. All around America, 80,000 Christians. Now I, I didn't really get into like, how did they go? How did they like, Make sure they were Christians. Like, do they ask them how often they do the sacraments? Or do they just walk up and be like, hey, are you a Christian? Yeah. Like, I don't, I don't know. But according to this study, they asked 80,000 Christians, how often do you read your Bible? And how is your spiritual life going? How often do you read your Bible? And how is your spiritual life going? Now, you can't beat facts. You can't. And it's already up there, but you can see this. Out of these 80,000 Christians in America that they talked to, they found out that if, if you read your Bible once a week, if you read your Bible once a week, basically the same as not reading your Bible at all. It made no difference in their spiritual walk. It was the same. If they read their Bible twice a week, there was a, there's a tiny change. There was a little bit. People felt like they had like more hope. But other than that, it was the exact same. Same with three times a week. If you read your Bible three times a week, there was a little bit more change. You had a little bit more hope, a little bit more faith. But it was equivalent almost, not even a 1% difference to if you never read your Bible at all. Now, to me, that sounds messed up. That sounds wrong. Like, I read it three times a week. Like, I'm definitely better than the person who didn't. I'm, I'm doing good. I've read it three times. They read it zero. That's three to zero. I'm winning, clearly. I, I don't know what to say. Like, that's how I feel. But you can't, you can't beat numbers. You can't beat facts. Now, what I love is what happens when you read your Bible four times. Wait for the slide. Oh, too late. <laughs> what happens when you read your Bible four times a week or more? When you read your Bible four times a week or more, this is what changes. Loneliness is dropped by 30%. Feeling lonely is dropped by 30%. Anger, hatred, Dropped by 32%. Bitterness in relationships, the, the little bickering, drops by 40%. Drug abuse drops by 
50%. Feeling spiritually stagnant drops by 50%. Viewing pornography drops by 61%. And my favorite one, sharing the gospel. It increased 200% out of these 80,000 Christians that did this survey. If they read their Bible four times or more when they were presented the question, how often do you share the gospel all the time? Whenever I get a chance, because those people that are reading their Bible four times more a week, they are closer with Christ. They are staying hand in hand with God. They are walking with God, not because they got their star for the day for reading. You remember that in school? You remember when you got the reading star and you got the little gold star next to your name? And then when you missed a day, you had a good record going. And then you missed a day because you were sick. And now that you missed it. You got one bad little scratch. Am I the only one there? Only one? Fair enough. It hurt me. <laughs> Y'all are stronger. But reading your Bible, it, it stops stagnant by 50%. And it increased the gospel sharing by 20%. Christians felt like they were more empowered. They felt like they knew God better. That they walked with him closer. And because of that, they felt stronger. Where are you with your walk with God? And please know, this isn't something that I just preach on. This is something that when I look in the mirror every single day, I have to look myself in the eyes and say, where are you with your walk with God? Where are you, Jordan? Are you leading your family well? Are you being the spiritual head of your household that is in this book? Are you being a loving, kind, devoted Father, where are you? So I'm not just preaching it to the crowd. I'm preaching it to myself. This is something that I have to look inside and I have to judge of where am I? Am I feeling stagnant with God as a pastor, as I sit here? There are days where I just look at God going, where are you? I'm, where? Where? I'm, I'm trying to figure something out right now. I, I could use you. And it always starts out calm like that. It always starts out, God, I need you. Where are you? And then I go a day or two with not reading my Bible, not praying, not spending time with him, not doing the things to like worship him. I'm just casting off and I'm looking at God going, where are you? And this gentle sorrow of God, where are you, turns into anger. And then it's, God, I need you. Why aren't you here? I've been asking for days, and I don't feel you. Why? And my bitterness turns to anger. And it's all because I'm looking at God, and I am, I've done that thing that I do in the sand where I rub my feet in, and I get comfortable, and I stay still, and God is saying, walk with me, my child. And I say, but I'm tired. And I said that two weeks ago to God. God, I'm tired. I'm going to take a break. You keep going. I'll catch up. And then fast forward two weeks, I'm going, God, where are you? I feel like I'm lost. And God's saying, I'm still walking here in front of you. Let's go. You said you were going to catch up. 
What happens? Disciples make disciples. Now, this is the part that always everyone kind of stumbles on. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. Raise your hand if you know every single command in the Bible. Sir, I saw that hand. I'm, I'm, we're going to put it to the test next time. We're going to put it to the test. I don't. And I, I don't know anybody that does. There's like some old Jewish rabbi who's like probably does. Um, but I don't. However, this might sound crazy. And you should learn a lot of the commands. But Jesus actually tells me, you don't have to know them all. Well, hang on. How can I know all the commands without knowing the commands and teaching new disciples all the commands, but I don't know the commands? Well, he tells us this. In a couple of chapters before, actually, in Matthew 22, 37 through 40. Matthew 22, 37 through 40. Jesus replied. He's talking to the Pharisees. They're trying to figure out, like, hey, Jesus, they're trying to, like, entrap him. And they're asking, like, what's the greatest command? And this is the great commandment. Jesus replied, you must love your Lord, your God, with all your heart, with all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. A second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. Start there. If you're a new Christian or you're new to sharing the gospel and you read the I must teach them all the commandments and you don't know all of them and that's what's stopping you because you don't feel good, well, guess what? Jesus says, let me wrap it up in two real quick. Love your Lord God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love your neighbor as you love yourself. That's it. Everything else, let's get into the weeds. Let's get into the details. Start there. If you don't believe me on that passage that came from Jesus' mouth, it's written again in the Bible. In Galatians 5.14, For the whole law can be summed up in one command. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. He said, they say it again. You want to know how to spread the gospel. You want to know what my commandments are. You want to know what my will is. There it is. Now, there's a whole nother sermon about you can't really love your neighbor if you don't love yourself, and a lot of us don't love ourselves. We can get into that another day. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. Lastly, God wants to do something in your life. If you're a student, I'm looking at you. Where you at? I'm looking for eyeballs, eyeballs, eyeballs. They're over here like looking through stuff. They're not even paying attention. It's, I'll get you. Don't worry. I know who you are. We talk about this. This sermon, this sermon was writ, wrote, written, written, written. Sorry, dumb redneck, told y'all. This sermon was put down on paper like three weeks ago. We got the chance to go to Glorieta, New Mexico to a camp. And I had the privilege to get to speak to about 500 students and this was a sermon that I gave to middle schoolers and high schoolers. This sermon wasn't anything special. This sermon isn't really big in theological understanding. This is a basis 
sermon that no matter how old you are, it reigns true. God is working. And I got to look at these students' eyes when I gave this sermon to them. And for the first time it clicked. But I told them, I said, God is not just trying to work in you. God is trying to work through you. And he's telling you the same thing. If you are here in this room, if you're joining us online, God doesn't want to just work in you. God wants to work through you. Because see... Everybody likes it when they got that, that first time they experience God, whether it was driving down the road or in the middle of worship or at church or at camp, and you feel like God's really working on you. Or maybe you left church for a while and you went off and did your own thing like I did, and then when you finally come back, you get to experience God again, and God is working in you, and he's changing you, and he's convicting you, and you're growing, and you're maturing, and your good works is happening inside you. But see, God's not just working in you. He wants to work through you. Just like Pastor Chuck talked about last week, you have spiritual gifts. God didn't give you those spiritual gifts to make you money, to make you fame, to make you cool. God didn't give you spiritual gifts so your life can be better, so that you can understand things better, so that you can be a better person. God didn't give you spiritual gifts for you. God gave you spiritual gifts to work through you. Because every ability that you have, every gift that God has given you, everything that is working, God has given it to us, not for our pleasure, not for our enjoyment, not for our purpose, but for someone else's. Because God doesn't just want to grow inside you. He doesn't, like, you get to a point where you're like, God, keep changing me. God, keep changing me. God, keep growing me. And God's like, you're, you're there. Go. But we get hung up so often of going just, no, God, I'm not ready yet. I, I still need you to work on me. God, I need you to fix what's broken inside me. God, make me a better person. When I get there, when I feel like you've worked enough in me, God, then I will go. Then when I feel like I'm a good enough Christian, then I will go. We wouldn't even have the Old Testament. Christianity probably wouldn't be a thing today if that was the excuse that the people of the old gave God. God's not asking you to be perfect. God's not asking you to have all the knowledge in the world. God's not asking you for the impossible. God is just asking you to follow, to lead, to go. God does not just want to work in you. He wants to work through you. And if you feel stagnant in your relationship with God or your walk, it's probably because you're sitting here waiting on God to like keep fixing things, to keep mending things. God, I still have depression. God, I still have anxiety. God, I still have fear. When you take them all away, then I will follow. Then I will listen. Then I will make disciples. I wouldn't be here on this stage today. My fears don't go away fully. Some have. Some fears I have to live with daily. Some anxiety that's it's just inside of me. What are you waiting on? 
What are you asking God to fix or do inside you so you can go and follow him? Why are you putting conditions on your love with God? You do, you scratch my back, I scratch your back. It's not how God works. God says, I'm just going to scratch your back. If you can do this, let's do it together. God's not just working in you. God wants to work through you. And I'm telling you, Summit Church, you need to look in the mirror and look at yourself and say, is God working through me or is he just working in me? If you're just starting out, please hear my heart. If you are just starting out your Christian faith, let God work in you. It's okay. Let God work in you. I'm not here to rush anybody. I'm not here to tell you that your depression has a time lock. I'm not here to tell you that your anxiety and fears are on a schedule. That's not it. What I'm trying to say is that if, you're, if you feel like you're, you're not moving, if you feel like you're stagnant, if you feel like your relationship is lessened, then what are you waiting for? Just go. Just tackle it. Follow God. You got depression? Me too. You got fears? Me too. You got anxiety? I get it. But we can keep moving forward. We don't have to let our past change our future. So I'm asking you, Summit Church, let's take our heels and our ankles that are dug into the sand where we feel comfortable, and let's break free of it, and let's start walking. Are we going to be tired? Yeah. Yeah, your soul is going to cry out, and it's going to be exhausting. But luckily, Jesus says, I give strength to those. Oh, you may be weary but you have me. Is it gonna be hard? It is. It's not easy. Being a veteran myself in the Marine Corps, you know what? It was so much easier in Afghanistan with a gun in my hand, knowing who the bad guy was, than being a pastor, than being a Christian. That was easy. I'd rather do that. This is harder. But Summit Church, let's give our excuses a break. Let's quit saying we ain't got time. Let's quit saying we're, we're too tired. Let's quit saying we don't know enough. Because someone in your family didn't have that excuse. Someone who presented the gospel to you, they were tired. They were hurting. They were struggling. Their life wasn't perfect, and they still shared the gospel with you. I don't know these Eagle Lake people yet, and I'm going to get to know them this week, but I promise you, in these group of young individuals, they are broken. They are hurting. They have fear. They have anxiety. They have depression. And if I started saying, if you have this, get out. You can't follow God. If you have this, get out. You can't make disciples. By the end of I went through my list, every single one of them would be out, and who's there to share the gospel? I know it's hard to hear because it's hard for me to hear because the amount of times I'm driving down the road and I've had a long day and God's just saying, hey, I need you to do this. And I'm just like, come on, I'm tired. Do I have to? Yeah. And you know what? Every single time I do, I still lay my head at the pillow at night and go, I'm alive. I had the strength. I had the energy. It was hard. 
but I didn't. I'm asking you to join me, Summit Church. Let's join links, join arms. Let's do this together. Let's make disciples, not followers, but disciples make disciples. And if we're going to claim to be disciples of God, let's put our money where our mouths are. Will you pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for the ability that we can open your word in a country where we're not persecuted. We're, we're, not, we're not sitting here worried about our lives. We're, we're not going to be beheaded. Lord, we live in the land of the free. And I thank you for that because it truly is a blessing and a privilege when you look around the world. Lord, I pray for every individual in this room, everyone joining us online, and Lord, I pray for myself. Lord, as you are trying to work through us, as you are trying to use us, Lord, help us. Lord, give us the strength. Give us the courage. Take away our fears, our anxiety. And Lord, if you're telling us that we have to do it while having being scared, while having anxiety, while having depression, while having problems, Lord, then let's do it. Because, Lord, I would rather have depression and scream your joy. I would rather have anxiety and know who you are and teach who you are. I would rather have faults in this life if I know the joy of you. Let me live off that. Lord, thank you so much for this day. Thank you for your word. Lord, thank you for your son who died for our sins. Lord, teach us how to follow you. We ask all these things in your name, Jesus. Amen.